You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. While our world is in a season of uncertainty, we know God rules over all things. In this series, we'll explore the opportunity before us to reflect, recalibrate our lives, and return to God with all of our hearts. Good morning, Sojourn Church, Carlisle. My name is Nick Wyrens. I serve as the associate pastor here. So glad that you're joining us this morning. We're going to be continuing along in our sermon series entitled, This Incredible Opportunity. This morning, we're going to be looking at Joel 2, verses 12 through 14, and in it, we'll see the opportunity to repent. So I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, grab your Bible and turn to Joel 2. If not, it'll be on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. Even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. Who knows, he may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, so you can offer grain and wine to the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, these truly are unprecedented times. None of us have experienced anything like what we're experiencing now. God, as we study your word this morning, we ask that through the prophet Joel, we would see the opportunity to repent, that we would see the weight and gravity of our sin, and that we would see the opportunity we have to turn and run to you. Speak to us this morning, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when studying God's word, it makes it hard to understand what's going on when we simply jump into the middle of a text in a book somewhere. It's kind of like starting a movie 30 minutes in without knowing what's going on ahead of time. So to catch us up where we are in the book of Joel, we want to take a look at what's going on. In chapters 1 and 2, we see the crisis at hand. Joel is a prophet, and he has been given the task of speaking to Israel. We're not given a ton of information about when he's writing, but based on context clues, we can assume that he's writing after the exile. So this is after the passages that we've already looked at in this sermon series, after Lamentations and after Jeremiah. At this time, Israel is out of captivity, but has still not responded to God in obedience. And Joel comes on the scene to speak on behalf of God and to pronounce judgment on Israel. In Joel 1, we see that Israel has just experienced an unprecedented locust plague. This is what it says in Joel 1, verses 2 through 4. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell your children about it and let your children tell their children and their children the next generation. What the devouring locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust has left, the young locust has eaten. And what the young locust has left, the destroying locust has eaten. Like the Costco toilet paper aisle, there was literally nothing left in Israel. This locust plague had come through and literally wiped out all their food. And in an agrarian society, a farming society, this isn't just taking away their food, their daily sustenance, but it's taking away their livelihood, their economic well-being. But Joel says the judgment is not done yet. In Joel 1.15, he says, Woe because of that day, for the day of the Lord is near, meaning it's still to come and will come as devastation from the Almighty. 
So we see moving on in Joel 2 that there's a threat of an army. And that army will actually be led by God himself. The judgment that Israel has experienced in the locust plague and the escalating judgment of an army invasion align with what's actually outlined in Deuteronomy 28. Because Israel has continued to walk in open rebellion against God, the judgment that comes upon them is escalating. Now what's interesting about the book of Joel is that there's, there's not a specific sin that Joel calls out. One scholar says that it's the generality of Israel's sin, meaning there's nothing specific that it talks about, that makes it timeless and applicable in the face of all judgments that God's people may face. So how do we look at the judgment in the book of Joel and apply it to our current circumstances? Now, if you're like me, maybe, maybe you're having a hard time calling this global pandemic a judgment from God. But the more I have studied this book this week, I, I don't think the Old Testament prophets had any issues with talking about God's judgment on his people. In fact, I, or maybe even we as the evangelical church, have underassessed things that God is judging us on. Now, if this global pandemic is a judgment on us, I do think we need to be cautious about saying that this judgment is a judgment on the entire world over one specific thing. However, I do think um, that we can ask the question, why, on a smaller scale. We can ask, why is this judgment coming upon our city, or our church, or our families, or even ourselves? And I think that's exactly what's happening here in the book of Joel. There's no specific sin mentioned, but there still remains in Joel 12 through 13, the call to repent. After reminding God's people of the judgment that has taken place in the locust plague, there's still this threat of an army invasion because Israel is continuing to walk in disobedience. So God, through the prophet, calls Israel to repent. The only thing it says that might keep God from continuing to carry out this judgment on the city of Israel is a wholehearted repentance. Look at what God says in Joel 2, 12. It says, even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Then in verse 13, God says, tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God. Kids, I want to ask you, do you know what repentance means? Here, God's word teaches us that the word repentance means turning away from sin and turning to God. Can you say that with me? Repentance means turning away from sin and turning to God. So God doesn't just call his people to turn casually to him. He says that they must turn to him with all their heart, with every fiber of their being. And this is so key to repentance. Oftentimes we confuse repentance with simply changing our behaviors, simply doing better. Maybe we say things like, God, I promise to do better next time. But God is after more than that. He wants more than just changing our behaviors. Joel 2.13, as we read earlier, it says, tear your hearts, not just your clothes. In Joel's day, tearing your clothes was what you did when you were repenting, when you were mourning over your sin or the sin of your people. But God says repentance is more than just changing your behavior. Though changing your actions is a fruit of repentance, God is saying deeper change needs to happen at a heart level. You need to tear your hearts 
and not just your clothes. You need to hold bare your heart before God and allow his grace to penetrate every nook and cranny. One of the fascinating things about this call to repent is that it's an invitation for all of God's people. Later on in Joel 2, 16, uh, it says to gather the old folks and the little babies, even the babies who are nursing, from young to old, everyone should come together to repent. This is an opportunity for all of us to repent. Repentance isn't just something that really bad people have to do. It's not just a one-time event when you get saved. Repentance is something that we always need to be doing. However, sometimes God has to take drastic measures to wake us up, to get us to pursue repentance. Well-known pastor Ray Ortland last week, he tweeted, if we pastors in our churches get through this only to return to quote-unquote normal, with a sigh of relief, but without repentance, without prayer, without courage, we will have wasted our historic moment. And then what more will the Lord have to do to shake us awake? So the question then is not, do you need to repent? The question is, what is God inviting you to repent of? For some of us, it may be sins of commission, outright rebellion to God's ways. Maybe you've been speaking harshly to your roommate who's been on your nerves since day three of quarantine. Maybe with all of this idle time, you've turned to looking at things on the internet that you shouldn't. Maybe it's repenting of finding comfort in lesser gods, whether that be money or your retirement account or food, or alcohol. Maybe you need to repent of the two hours a day you spend lusting over the good life of all these Instagram influencers. How how on earth is their quarantine life better than my normal life? Maybe you're like me. You need to repent of being anxious all the time. You need to repent of, of trying to control everything from your family to your work to the money you have in the stock market. Or kids, maybe maybe it's repenting of, of cheating on your new homeschool assignments rather than working hard to get the answers you're using your old friend Google to get answers for you. So there's sins of commission, outright rebellion to God's ways that we need to repent of. But then for others, it may be sins of omission, Rather than outright rebellion, it's a neglect of the things that you know God has called you to do, but you're simply not doing them. Kids, maybe it's not honoring your parents and obeying them as God's word commands of you. Or husbands, maybe you're not looking at things online that you shouldn't be, but you're certainly not loving your wife like Christ loves the church. Okay, maybe the vitriolic statements haven't come out yet at your roommate, but you have been harboring hate in your heart since day three of quarantine rather than loving your roommate. Or even more likely, maybe this weekend you've spent seven hours watching Tiger King, but you haven't spent any time in God's word or in prayer. What is God calling you to repent of? Look, God has stripped almost everything from us. 
all the normalcies of American life. No work, no school, no sports, no church, no human contact with basically anybody but your family, no trips to the mall, no going to restaurants, no coffee shops. All the normal things that we use to distract ourselves are gone. And I think as God has done that for good reason. I think he's putting you into a position where you can no longer avoid dealing with your stuff, with the sin in your life that maybe you've been trying to turn a blind eye to. There's no longer the distractions that you have to help push down that conviction in your heart that you've been feeling for months or maybe even years. So what is God calling you to repent of? What is he calling you to turn away from? Answering that question is just one side of the repentance coin. If you're turning from from something, then what is God calling you to turn to? Or rather, who is he calling you to turn to? Continuing on in Joel, verses, uh, uh, verses 13b through 14, we see the character of God. You know, this week I've been trying to rack my brain over illustrations about what I feel like is going on in in our current day. And I just had a hard time coming up with apt descriptions. The first thing, though, that came to mind was, you know, when you're you're, uh, potty training a dog for the first time, if they go to the bathroom in the house, you stick their nose in it so that they learn not to do that again. But God doesn't treat us like animals. Then another image came to mind from the 1995 classic, Matilda, where the Trunchbull accuses chubby Bruce Bogtrotter of eating a piece of her cake from the school kitchen. Then to prove her point, to punish Bruce, she makes him eat the entire cake. After succeeding, of course, she smashes uh, the glass tray on his head, you know. God's not like the Trunchbull, though. So what is God like? Who is he? What is his character like? Well, Joel shows us that even while the call to repentance is going on, God is the same God that he was before. The same God that promised to bless Israel all the way back in Deuteronomy is the same God that Joel is calling to Israel to repent to and turn to now. And that's the same God that we meet right now in a global pandemic. Joel says, repent and turn to God. And then in verse 13b, it says, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. God isn't calling you to repent just because he wants to prove a point. He's calling you to repent because he is a God who loves, who cares, who doesn't blow up in anger, who is literally overflowing with love to give to his children and who loves to turn away discipline and judgment from his children. He's he's calling you to turn away from your sin, whether sins of commission or sins of omission, because life under Jesus' rule and reign is greater than anything else. God's invitation to repentance is all about turning back to him, which is the only thing that will lead to lasting repentance. I read somewhere this week that after the terrorist attacks of 9-11, it was reported that church attendance in America 
shot up 25% in the near future after those attacks. But this this upsurge had little lasting impact. After people had this initial comfort that was met in the face of crisis, after a while as they got returning to old habits or old ways of life, religious devotion and repentance, open repentance before God simply waned and went away. I I think some of you watching this video right now are being confronted for the first time in a long time, if not ever, with the frailty of life, with your humanity, with, like me, your lack of control. And frankly, you don't know what to do about it. You don't know where to turn. You don't know who to look to. The things you've run to in the past simply aren't working right now. And I'm I'm here to tell you, and I think the book of Joel tells you this as well, the answer is to turn to God. The answer is in King Jesus. By providence and not coincidence, for the last three weeks on this video, we've been doing our kids' memory verse together. If you remember, we did it earlier today. This is what 1 Timothy 1.15 says. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Jesus came to save sinners. Or to put it differently, Jesus came to save those who need to repent. And he doesn't invite them to turn from their sin to something equally as unstable. He invites them to turn to himself, who is sovereign over all things, who created all things, who controls all things, and who heals all things. The prophet Hosea in Hosea 6 says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us and he will heal us. He has wounded us and he will bind up our wounds. How beautiful is that? Jesus right now may be stripping us of everything, but he's the one that will clothe us and heal us up. He's the one that will mend our torn, repentant hearts. Repentance, it's heavy. The feeling that you may be experiencing right now as you think and even and ponder just right now, it may be heavy. But I, I don't want us to rush past that heavy feeling. I, I think we need to sit in our repentance for a little while. So I'm not going to give you a, a list of things to go and do this week. It's not a laundry list of things that you can go check off. But I do think there's two invitations for you this week. First, as this starts off Holy Week, the the week that we march towards Jesus, crucifixion and resurrection, throughout Holy Week, I want you to ask God, what are you inviting me to repent of? What sinful way of life do I need to turn from and turn to you in, Jesus? And the second thing, I want you to simply sit in your repentance. 
Sit in your sorrow. Sit in the remorse of your sin. Genuinely feel the brokenness of your heart. The verse we read earlier in Hosea goes on to say this. It says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us and He will heal us. He has wounded us and He will bind up our wounds. And I love this, Hosea 6 verse 2. It says, He will revive us after two days. And on the third day, He will raise us up so we can live in His presence. In this verse, there's the call to repentance, and then there's the promise of resurrection. There's a promise that we can hold on to there, but let's not rush to it. This week, again, I want to invite you to ponder, to meditate, to, to think about your sin. And then next Sunday together, we can celebrate the life in the victory that we have in Jesus' resurrection. Let's pray. God, as we come before you as broken and needy sinners, we ask by the power of your spirit that you would soften our hearts. Oftentimes, God, we can be blind to the sin in our lives. We can use things to distract us or to help us look the other way. But Holy Spirit, we ask that um, through your word or through friends and family, or even through uh, simply being in prayer with you, that you would reveal to us the things that we need to repent of. God, help us turn from our sinful ways and turn to your son, King Jesus. We know that he is the one that heals us. He is the one that binds up our wounds. And he is the one that on the third day will raise us up. We pray all this in the matchless name of King Jesus, our Lord. Amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.